God, right? Talk about the loaded words. Like, is there any more loaded of a word than that one? More variant interpretations of what that word actually means. And for me, it's something like uh, an amalgam of freedom, truth, and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard it described as like beauty, truth, and love is the way other people have described it. Um, but this is an ideal, right? Yes. That we've been wrestling with linguistically. It's almost like the word to represent that which is beyond words. Which may be Acknowledge- why word is the most interesting exploration we can have. Right. It's almost like the word that acknowledges the limitations of words. Yeah, yeah. Something yeah, like yeah. that, you know. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Eric Dell, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Thank you so much, Robert. Great to have you here. Uh, we're sitting here in Prague for Bitcoin Prague, uh, doing an in-person interview. We had an awesome dinner last night with a bunch of Bitcoiners. Well, it must have been, what, 20 of us, I guess? That was really great. One of the best steaks I've ever had in my life, and that company. Wow. Great steak. Uh, shout out Monarch Restaurant in Prague. Great steakhouse. Check it out if you've never been. By way of quick introduction, uh, you are a podcaster. Your podcast is called Bitcoin for Breakfast. It's in Scandinavia. I think you said. You also run a Bitcoin conference called Northern Lightning, which is on your shirt. And you are also the father of three beautiful young Bitcoiner daughters. Yeah. Just having experiencing their very first Bitcoin conference here in Prague, uh, which is pretty cool. It's the biggest and best Bitcoin conference we've had 
on this continent so far. Yes. Very exciting for her to go around. And, and they're at the conference today. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Great time. That's awesome. Super cool. Um, okay, we had a killer conversation at dinner last night. Um, this is why I love hanging out with Bitcoiners because I never know what's going to happen. Like I come and I start just, we just talk and then the conversation goes into these crazy places um, and just so happened we had an opening today. So I figured let's sit down and, and record and, and talk about some of that. You were telling me offline this story about a word that I've never heard before, which is the word defenestrate. To defenestrate. Can you tell me? Defenestration is one of the coolest words I think we have in the English language. So Prague, which we are in right now, has a really cool history connected to Bitcoin. Like beyond the fact that we have Satoshi Labs and Trezor and these companies that originated here way, way hundreds of years before that, the Czechs took representatives of an oppressive international order and threw them out the window to protect their liberties. And they didn't do this like once or twice. They did it three times until they finally made their point with the 30 years war. So uh, in many ways, you could say that the Czechs were Bitcoiners long before we had a word for it. So who, who were these people throwing out of the windows and who was being thrown out of the windows and wh what were they doing to defend human liberties? Well, the act, the, so the, the actors were, were actually changing because this happened over a 200 year period. Mm -hmm. But the basic division line was between people who wanted to have freedom of conscience mm -hmm. to be free to pursue whatever reformist or Protestant mm -hmm. religion or, or, or train of thought they might want to. Um, and people who wanted to impose a existing consensus, mm. especially the Holy Roman Empire, uh, which was taken over by a new emperor in 1618, Ferdinand, who wanted mm -hmm. to turn Europe back to Catholicism, turn mm -hmm. the tide. Mm -hmm. In many ways, imagine that Bitcoin had never exist in, been invented, right? Mm. Uh, what if we could go back? And, the, and uh, yeah, the, pro the Czechs made their, their point very clearly in a way that then triggered, uh, sadly, one of the bloodiest conflicts the world has ever seen mm. um, because the point was so important. Uh, you must be free to believe what you want. Wow. Okay. So, and what does that word mean, defenestrate? And how did how's how do we go from throwing people out of windows to the Thirty Years' War? What's the maybe I'm making some like leaps of assumption of okay <laughs> uh, of history, but yeah. So in 1618, the Thirty Years' War starts in Europe, and the Thirty Years' War is relevant to us today mostly because of its conclusion in mm -hmm. 1648. That's when we get the Treaty of Westphalen, which is the first time we get a definition of the sovereignty of a state. So even when we talk about the sovereign individual today, mm. the notion of sovereignty that we're playing with is really the outcome of the Thirty Years' War, which was started by this very demonstrative act of throwing these representatives out of a window. Wow. Well, is that where we get the word sovereignty, too? Was it originating around that time? That I won't say oh. uh, conclusively. Okay. But it's definitely the first time that sovereignty uh, was was recognized in an international document in such a way. Yeah. Obviously, we have a, probably references to it ideologically and things like Magna Carta and so on long before that. Gotcha. But as a word, I don't know if it, we had the mental technology that it... Yes. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So this idea of not letting someone impose an ideology onto other people right. was defended here through the process of defenestration. Uh by literally throwing the oppressor out of a window right. of of a house of a of a tower yeah of a tower did they die or did they no so they survived actually uh, which led to a maybe one of the first propaganda wars of uh, sort of uh, the centralized decentralized power mm -hmm. where you have 
the Holy Roman Empire claiming that they're saved by God, right? This is uh, God's grace that shows that Catholicism should mm-hmm. return. Fiat will will make it or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, <laughs> and the Bohemians that uh, tell a, a probably equally bullshit story. Mm-hmm. The reason they survived was because they landed in a bunch of dung, basically, <laughs> right? Uh, they're shit corners. Right. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of funny little analogies there. Yeah. I mean, one thing I do want to add on it is, you know, this is a violent example. Yeah. It's not something we as Bitcoiners condone. Sure. Uh, right. Uh, the point is is funny and and important. Yeah. Uh, but the texts have also shown us late, much later in their history, uh, in 1989, the way they threw off communism in this country. Yeah. It was a revolution that was so peaceful that we call it velvet. And any mm. Bitcoiner who despairs when they see our mm. entrenched fiat system right now uh-huh. should feel very inspired by that moment because it must have felt just as hopeless in 1988. And then a year later, you have the velvet revolution. The velvet revolution. Yeah, I, I think we would aspire for Bitcoin to be a bit of a velvet, Absolutely. bloodless revolution. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it seems to be a point that you very easy to establish a universal consensus on. We could somehow move beyond violence as a means of, of resolving our disputes. That's a net positive for everybody. I don't think, I mean, maybe save for whatever the small percentage of the population that's psychopathic. Maybe they prefer violence, but for the vast majority of humans, right. 95 plus percent. Um, and the people who prefer violence, I just suggest that we take the money printer away from those maniacs. Yes, that would be that would be useful, right? Yes, yeah. disempower the people that prefer violence. Uh, very much in line with the ethos of Bitcoin. One of the things we were talking about last night, and this is something that I have been really hung up on lately is the, I guess you could just say the nature of language itself, right? We, obviously the namesake of this show, the What is Money show, um, we're directly asking about the definition of a word, in this case money, but one of the the territory that that has led me into is more of an ontological examination of words themselves. right? And the way that I struggle to articulate this is we we inhabit this seemingly infinitely complex fluid interconnected reality mm-hmm. uh I've, I've heard it called the world continuum right everything is connected to everything else everything affects everything else this is contained in ideas like the butterfly effect and chaos theory uh as above so below and the the hermeneutic principles and things like this and and so this it's this total continuum, let's say. And the best tool we have for dealing with the territory of reality is this mapping system called language. Now, language is not continuous, actually. It's, it's, we have these, these discrete data packets called words, Mm -hmm. which are really just sounds we're making with our, you know, the lowest hole on our head. Or writing on a physical sense, yeah. Yes. But they are far more than that. They're far more than that. But um, the the value of this technology, this psychotechnology, to use a Vervakian term, is the degree to which we can share consensus on the meaning of these words, whether they are written or spoken, right? Such that when I make a certain sound, the cognitive software I'm running right now is English, and I make a certain sound, I have to the extent that you can receive that sound and decrypt it through the same software and assign the same meaning is the extent to which we can bridge our inner worlds of experience, of thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. 
And so, sorry, long-winded introduction to this. My current view that I'm wrestling with is language is simultaneously, it is indispensable, right? It's the best tool we have for dealing with this complex, fluid reality. But because it doesn't, the map is never the territory, as has been said. Symbols. It's all symbols. It's as indispensable as it is, it is also insufficient. Yes, if you think about how thought originates in you, like before it gets constrained into words, before you use the mental technologies that you have trained and practiced throughout mm-hmm. your life, uh, it's all symbolic thought. And then when you realize that you have to store it for yourself, you start the first part of putting them into words and concepts, and that can happen very quickly because it has no cost. So your brain can quickly try out different words and come up with ways to constrain that thing that needs to be communicated. Mm-hmm. And then you have to find someone to communicate it to at which point that language becomes even more constrained. It still, at this point, becomes the most useful tool, as you call it, to reach consensus. Yeah. Um, but it's important that that's not the only goal, also to uh, reach conflict, to, to, to reach a battle about what that, mm. what that means as you then communicate the words externally and make them uh, into a reality. That's true, yeah. So we want, we want to have consensus on the words we're using to communicate, but sometimes there's a word that may not be mapping. It may be, maybe it's not high enough of a resolution. We mentioned the word power earlier, yeah, which is one I keep coming back to too, largely through my conversations with Jason Lowry. It appears to me that most people, when we invoke the word power, they tend to think authority, political power, influence, uh, you know, being superordinate to someone in a hierarchy of some kind. But okay, great. That's one sense or one meaning of the word power, but there's this other very fundamental sense of the word power that I guess because I read a a bunch of physics when I was young, that's actually more obvious to me, which is energy per unit time, right? As we, uh, watts, uh, we're using it all the time where everything is power. We're, we're living in it. Like your metabolism is power. We're moving energy over time to communicate, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one of those words where maybe the consensus doesn't quite exist. So when you say the word power, someone may interpret it in the physical sense, whereas another person interprets it in the political sense, and therefore they end up talking past each other. So we need to have conflict to figure out what we're actually talking about. Uh, maybe there I would like to direct the conversation over to like how we influence and change the world. Mm-hmm. Like uh, as humans, not, both in our own time and how we leave legacies. Mm-hmm. Uh, changing language is the most powerful way that we can change the world in a very literal sense mm-hmm. inside of people's brains. Yeah. Like you can change language in uh, or down to the word level where words that have a very clear meaning can be attacked by becoming obsolete f- faded or, mm-hmm. and more confusing uh, or they can be improved by being expanded. Yes. Right. So right. they can both be used to uh, be improved and attacked and they yeah. can look similar but by making a word that everybody has consensus of into something that could have several possible outputs, mm-hmm. it comes with a cost. Like the world becomes more complex, right. but it becomes heavier to think about. You can yeah. no longer use it as a shortcut to think fast. Yeah. So if you want to make any movement or idea uh, that you don't like into something that becomes powerless, you might want to make all the words have several different possible outcomes mm-hmm. so that it becomes very difficult for people to think fast about that topic at all. Right. And they become illiterate about that topic. Yeah. Religion is a great example of this where most of the words have become so uh, attacked, so confused, mm-hmm. so many different potential outputs that most people, even if they do spend a lot of time on this today, find themselves religiously illiterate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the technology has been 
uh, the swelling away. Yeah. That can also be an improvement. If you want to make words better, you can say this word is too simple. It doesn't encapsulate the full reality. Yeah. It does not approximate truth symbolically as much as it should. I need to expand upon its meaning and then explore new possible ways to use it. Like you're mentioning power. Uh, it can be used in this way, but I would also like it to apply to this meaning and maybe mm -hmm. true metaphors also to apply to these additional uh, mythical uh, meanings that are connected to it in a sense. Mm -hmm. Then you have the other direction, like you can take something that has many different possible outputs, mm -hmm. something that currently there exists confusion about, and you turn it into a shortcut. You turn it into a word that has a clear meaning to everybody, mm -hmm. and when they think about it, their brain no longer double checks, it just assumes and mm -hmm. uses it very fast. Huge advantage if you want to think fast about a topic, yes. or if you want to uh, um, uh, yeah, skip like exploring something that is irrelevant to your goal, you right. use that word as a shortcut, but also very powerful if you want to limit people's ability to examine critically something. Right. If so, you want people to become uh, very automated. In their yes, life. yes. And we do, we want to be able to automate our thinking, right? When, when we invoke these words, it's, it's how we economize communication and thinking. Nobody wants to discuss what a table is every right. time you enter a restaurant. Right. right? That doesn't, but that doesn't mean that we don't, we want to have the same iconization of the word power yes. or pride or whatever else you want to yeah. use as you want of a table, like right. some things are worthy of higher examination than yeah. things that are functionally useful in your environment yeah. at any given moment. Yeah, and I think you were describing this um, as a difference between like a function and a, a, a variable. I don't know if those are the best words, but yeah. the best we're playing with so far. At least. Yeah, I, I liked uh, sort of variant, like one word could have many interpretations, let's say, and an invariant would be a word that has basically one interpretation. The one we hit on last night was like the word is, yeah. right? It's it's just this word of equivalency, mm -hmm. right? When you say Bitcoin is justice, you know, Bitcoin is time, Bitcoin is energy. Like you could see us and we'll probably get into Bitcoin later. If wrestling with this phenomenon that's beyond language, but we keep assigning these different words to it to try and explain it from different angles. Um, so is would be one of these words that's very rock solid. You know, there's a strong consensus on is, hopefully. Yes. Uh, but other words like, you know, what Bitcoin is a sacred, <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin, justice, power, maybe even truth, you know, like these words, they have a lot of different answers uh, to what they are and deep philosophical implications. Mm. So mm. now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, the Gold Investment Letter. The Gold Investment Letter helps sophisticated investors navigate capital markets and maximize their profits in trading gold, silver, and mining stocks. The Gold Investment Letter seeks out the most undervalued companies and identifies special situations in the mining sector, and then provides in-depth analysis on both their financial positions and future prospects. The Gold Investment Letter explores many complex domains, such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends, all with the goal of making you a better investor. The Gold Investment Letter offers a free version and a paid premium version, and I strongly recommend you at least sign up for the free version because after having read a few of these issues, I can promise you it is a treasure trove of good information. You can sign up for the free newsletter today at goldinvestmentletter.com. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, 
like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Is what's so difficult about this is because we're like, it's like we're trapped in language or we're, we're running the very software that we're trying to examine and talk about. So it's a, there's a meta step that is necessary, but very difficult, maybe even impossible to do to some extent. I do believe that improvement is possible. I mean, evolution shows that. And I think language itself as a result of a spontaneous order that has emerged over mm. a long period of time is improved is evidence that improve, self-improvement is possible yeah. without us knowing what improvement is. Like we can be dumb humans with limited language and concepts and still be able to expand upon language and improve upon it. Yes. What I think we do need to accept, and here we come into like deeper thoughts about truth and God and so on, mm-hmm. is like, what does it mean to, um, what are we trying to achieve? If your goal is to reach some kind of perfect truth or perfect love or perfect relationship with God or something, that ain't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Like these are always gonna be technologies with a huge distance to reality mm-hmm. and, I think this is why so many religions, for example, always say, you know, you can't hear the voice of God or your brain right. would fucking blow up. Yes. Right? It's right, like, right, right, it's right. like we're yeah. basically just describing you the fact that- You can't see the face of God. It's yeah. Our, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. our curse and our blessing yeah. that we will always be approximating truth. Yes. Which then goes back to Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin? Yeah. Well, you know, we've had many ways to try to reach consensus about truth and yeah. we've become better at it. Uh, but we've always, you know, in a sense, been limited by this Stone Age technology of uh, contracts and using violence to yes. us, uh, the, uh, and even language, Stone Age technology, right? And, well, yeah, uh, I mean, language, it's adapted over time, but and language transposes un- unusually well compared to violence, yeah, because it, because it can be used on a universal scale, where yeah. violence is a bit more interpersonal, right? Uh, yeah, but, uh, we're going towards. You're just saying we're moving towards, but yes, language. yes, exactly. And and like we have had this limitation on what we can do when it comes to approximating truth between humans, mm-hmm. and now we have this technology that still is far from perfect when it comes to reaching some actual knowledge of what truth is. It cannot stare into the face of God. It can only approximate truth that in a factor of thousand X better than what we could before. Right. Right. Which right. It's a huge step for humanity. Yeah. Um, and again, if we just accept that truth has a very deep connection to God and yeah. love, yes. then obviously approximating truth a thousand X is an infinite good or for humanity, uh, um, in a way that I think is not so obvious when you just think about it in economic or uh, maybe even cold terms like truth terms. Yeah. Think about it in love terms. Yeah. Then it becomes beautiful and the flowers sort of grow. Yes. No, that's, that's beautifully said. And, and God, right? Talk about the loaded words. Like, is there any more loaded of a word than that one? More variant interpretations of what that word actually means. And for me, it's something like uh, an amalgam of freedom, truth, and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard it described as like beauty, truth, and love is the way other people have described it. Um, but this is an ideal, right? Yes. That we've been wrestling with linguistically. It's almost like the word to represent that which is beyond words. Which may be Acknowl- why the word is the most interesting exploration we can have. Right. It's almost like the word that acknowledges the limitations of words. Yeah, yeah. Something yeah, like yeah. that, you know. And therefore, it kind of represented this proxy for truth 
you know, goodness, et cetera. Um, and people, you know, clearly, like we've had a lot of people fight and die and wage wars and ideological competitions and propaganda. And it's on our fiat currency and God we trust. Like this word is just pervasive. But now with, and this is where people probably think Bitcoiners are crazy cultists too. It's not like we're saying Bitcoin is God, but we're saying it's the struggle of human beings to establish consensus on the truth that is beyond words, something like that. Yes. Well, now we've invented something that is this absolute consensus and it, it too is beyond words and why someone like me can have a podcast with 330 episodes trying to describe the nature of money and Bitcoin and still not having a solid final answer. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating, you know, it's, it's, it's part of this long human enterprise to try and better understand ourselves and the software we're running and our relationship to reality somehow. Yeah. I think people, you know, I think the conversation about the word God in particular is very informative because it's a word that today, um, we are, a lot of us are afraid to put it in our mouth mm -hmm. because there are so many possible meanings and yeah. the time you're afraid to put it in your mouth, it loses a bit of its meaning. So it becomes right. one of those Voldemort things like mm -hmm. he whose name must not be mentioned. Even right. We all have to deal with the reality of its impact on our lives and the reality of its, mm -hmm. our being a part of it in a sense. Right. What kind of God we believe in really matters. Like if we, if we think about this as truth, for example, if we think that truth is universal, which would often be the Christian ideal, that uh, even if you've never heard of God, you are still redeemed by God and a Christian in a sense, because mm -hmm. God equates to truth and truth is, is universal. In Judaism, it's much more of a chosen people and exclusive thing, right? It's a pact that has been revealed to particular people. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and a God like that will obviously have a very different impact Mm -hmm. on, on people's prosperity and possibilities in life. Sure. Or Islam, which is more like you can submit, but if you don't, you are outside of the universal pact. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Some almost like a middle ground. Mm -hmm. Or you may be East where there just isn't kind of pact like this. Uh, forgot a little bit where I'm going with this, except for the fact, for the importance that of, of what we mean by the word God has a huge impact on how the world shapes. Yes. And that's why I think it's important to stop being afraid of using it and using bypasses like I'm spiritual. Yeah, I'm sorry, but a lot of people are just using that because yeah. they're cowards. Doesn't mean that there aren't really spiritual people. Right, it's still a useful word, but I I sense there's a lot of cowardice in the use of the word for a lot of people. They want to say I'm actually religious. I believe in God. Yeah, but that doesn't sound right. The what was the other one? Agnostic. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's another one. But I mean, I can sort of see where they're coming from. If you see a, a like growing up in the South, there were certain people that were so fervently religious about a particular interpretation of God. Yeah that I felt if I'm invoking the word God, I'm like proclaiming or professing my adherence to this particular religious sect, which is not something that- Well, imagine being in Germany and using a word like proud, mm. right? For me as an allegiant, it has a completely different feeling to it. I have I have the freedom to, uh, to think that way. They don't. Mm -hmm. And- um, On the ins insufficiency and indispensability of language, uh, this whole show is built on this. What is money? Yeah. Um, and again, we- I mean, we've been releasing episodes that have taken clips from my prior guest answering this question and just sequencing them one after another. And it's very interesting because there are so many different answers. So after three, almost three years of asking this question, I actually have more questions than answers now based on all the answers we've received back. What do you think it is about, I would love to hear your articulation of what is money. And then I would further like to ask like what is it about that particular question 
that seems to call out such a wide variety of answers from people? I don't know if I'm qualified to answer the question of what is money. Is anybody? No, exactly. <laughs> this is an incredibly uh, complex and vast question, which is why you have such a successful show, I guess. But I always remember, I, re- I remember I started thinking about this problem as money being the world's first social protocol through which we are invisibly leaving clues for each other about what things are worth. And those clues are picked up by others. You mm-hmm. choose to buy something at the shop, it sets the price of it. The next time somebody comes by, they're not willing to pay that. The owner knows uh, he has to put down the price. We left mm-hmm. little clues for each other that we pick up far, far away. And since that is a, sort of a flow of information that's going around the world, obviously optimally, again, thinking in truth and love terms, mm-hmm. if, there, if the information, if my judgment upon the price is as honest as po- truthful as possible, and if the price is being set as honest and truthful as possible, the person receiving it takes in that information as truthful and honestly as, as possible, then that should be the optimal situation. Then free enterprise and, and prosperity mm-hmm. should emerge uh, in an optimal sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, of course, that doesn't happen. There's lots of corruption of this protocol mm. uh, in these flows of signals, in these little clues that we leave. People discover that there are choke points. Holy shit, you know, I can actually control your bank account. I can control mm-hmm. this transaction or a little bit of capital controls here. We don't, mm-hmm. want, we don't want too many uh, hints to flow in this direction. Yes. What if the people on that side of the line find out what the other people on that side of the line are willing to pay for this? Right. right, 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 right. So you start drawing up this uh, balkanized uh, yeah. uh, social protocol, and the protocol is constantly trying to return to its pure state, in a sense. It constantly yeah. wants to, information wants to be free. Yeah. To use a very uh, old cypherpunk saying, right? Yeah. Um, information wants to be free, and, and that's why free markets and tends to over time, overcome a lot of hurdles of short-term bureaucracy or right. ossified institutions and so on. Um, but there will always be all these choke points and channels until Bitcoin, until we now suddenly have this tool that allows us to uh, switch out a social protocol that was open to hijacking. Yeah. And now we can leave clues that are open and accessible to everybody, allowing right. us to individually, subjectively approximate truth as at a much higher rate. Yeah. And since that reaches our shared consensus, that, that means that we can approximate truth in our shared constant of Bitcoin at a, at a better rate. Yeah. And since we organize around that constant, yeah. you then go back to that full circle of more prosperity, a better world. Yes. Right. Uh, that's a, that was too circular, but... I, <laughs> no, no, no. That's a, that's a great way to put it, actually. It's, it reminds me of, there's a very popular phrase on Wall Street that price is truth. Mm. You know, the, it's the distillation of all known market realities and the information contained in every market actor's mind, presumably, is, uh, of course, this isn't perfect, right? If anything, no. price discovery, it, it exists today, but there's also a large, a very compelling argument to be made that fiat currency inhibits price discovery. So we're not getting the full truth, as you're describing, right? When, when we balkanize or corrupt this money or create choke points price discovery is not uh it's corrupted as well so the the discovery of truth is well, and then the, you can zoom that out on a more meta level and then ask like hey these fiat institutions that have this power aren't they themselves a form of price discovery aren't they themselves a cost on mm-hmm. uh, doing business that have been discovered and, and imposed and evolved just like every other free market sure region. So even though we often think about these as like oh you know communist centralized government right they themselves were in response to some kind of an incentive an incentive yeah. and efficiency. Yeah. We often think about it in pure negative terms, like somebody had, I wanted to dominate this, I wanted to get rich and so on. Of course, there's a lot of self-interest. Of course, there's a lot sure. of perverse incentive. Sure. 
bad structural s- setups, whatever. Um, but a lot of times it's also just like, uh, hey, we had a, a had a problem, and right now running a SQL database was better than running Bitcoin. Right, like it's right, just right, a lot cheaper, right, right. even if it comes with some cost in terms of uh, censorship or sanitization right. or whatever else. Yeah, so, but, but we don't often know how costly it will be, right? Exactly. When you're, when you're running that one SQL database at the Fed, we talk about this a lot. You don't know that with the things of Wall Street either, which is the point that the price is right. Yeah, that even if you don't get it. Yeah, but if you don't understand why the price is what it is, you yeah, don't understand how somebody could allow the government to be doing what it do. It, it is does. what it is. The price is right. Yeah, like which is in a way a very Buddhist way of, of looking at things. Yeah, like it, it is what it is. Accept what it is. Yes, and and uh, there is you know not not much else to do. So in that in that framing, then you're basically, I think, asserting that money is one of these instruments that is more and. In- Probably, perhaps the most important thing, to the extent that it allows free price discovery, it's one of the me- the most important instruments we have for discerning truth yeah. in the world. Absolutely, in the sphere of human action, particularly, mm-hmm. let's say, and the extent to which we corrupt that mechanism is the extent to which we disturb our relationship with truth. Right? We we bring more bullshit into the world. Right. I mean, uh, one of my favorite hymns is "Nearer to Thee, My God." And it's really about that, like approaching God and getting as close to God as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when we move closer to truth, we we live more in harmony with how the world actually is. Mm-hmm. You know, there is only the Godhead. And mm-hmm. uh, if we move far away from the reality of the, of the Godhead, if we create an imagined shared reality between humans, mm-hmm. it's completely out of step with the laws of physics or mm-hmm. basic biology or whatever else. You build up a depth to reality. And by using Bitcoin, you instead of you enforce a very basic level of truth upon everybody, mm. reducing the, the cost of moving away from reality. Right. Some basic things that humans need to have consensus about. That's good. Yeah. So it's, it's a, um, we're constantly reconciling to reality more closely versus in a fiat world, you can let things diverge for a long time before there's a snapback. Exactly. World War One, World exactly. War Two. you know. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's fascinating. Um, which is also, by the way, we can think about a completely different topic in terms of Bitcoin. Why did Bitcoin emerge exactly what, when it did, right? Like we've talked about how there are all these, it's interesting how many different people start thinking about the same problem because they're all facing the same world at the same time. And mm-hmm. they're also children of a similar thought and a bit, mm-hmm. what we call zeitgeist in German. Right? Yes. Um, yeah, we have this, well, we got it from you guys in English. But yeah, we use the words. We do use zeitgeist, yeah. I'm, I'm not German, by the way. I just no. look very German. <laughs> I'm Norwegian. Um, no, okay. Which is like... For, forgive like, my American ignorance. I just like lump all you guys with an accent. No, no, it, it's like a German, <laughs> but but with humor and, and without the Holocaust. Oh, okay. So, nice. <laughs> often the popular mix. Double level up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Nice. Um, yeah, I forgot what tread we were on, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, well, I guess we could go... Damn. It's been a long conference. Been a, it has been a long conference. I've been doing a lot of talking. Conversations with some incredible people. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what you want to explore a pro deeper, but uh, I'm enjoying this. Yeah, me too. And yeah, forgive us for losing our train of thought because we've been talking for days and days and days. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. 
For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. Um, one other thing that we talked about last night that I thought was very interesting, though, is the realm of psychedelics. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe this, you had a great way of putting it because you're describing words as like icons we use to kind of deal with reality. Yeah. And there's something about, so we have this socially constructed or linguistically constructed experience of the world that if we only operate inside of that uh, construction for a long period of time, we start to mistake that thing for the real yeah. world, yeah. right? As you said about the table. Yeah. Like we all, oh, everyone knows what a table is. You take it for granted. But something about the psychedelic experience kind of wipes that slate clean. And I often it, describe that as like the industry in those terms. When I want to describe acid, for example, to someone mm -hmm. for the first time, imagine that you are a child who's never heard of a table. You walk in there and you find the table fascinating in a way that I don't because you see the colors. Mm -hmm. You see the lines and the material and all the stuff that I just don't even notice anymore. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the child is actually much better informed than I am. Mm -hmm. It knows much more about this table than I do, even though I consider myself far superior because I have an icon for it. They're at least paying much closer attention, paying right? Much closer attention. Yeah. And uh, of course, you know, we don't want to walk into rooms and have to rediscover what a table is every <laughs> single time. Especially not if it's a room full with tables, right? Long experience, yeah. But uh, this also happens, of course, to our beliefs and to assumptions about how relationships work mm -hmm. or um, basic ethnic value value judgments, right? Mm -hmm. So you do you learn something because it was useful when a teacher wanted to behave in class in first mm -hmm. grade. You've integrated it so deeply that it's a loop you've been running for thirty fucking years. Yeah, and then somebody drops acid in your cup of tea, and for the first time you're seeing. Was that ever a useful loop? Is this just a loop I'm running without re-examining right. it? Right. Going back to the meaning of words, is this just a thing that has become invariable? Yeah. Your brain uses it as a shortcut when it should actually be a function, something that your brain should examine every time, right? Right. So then, as it, I think you should, or psychedelics in general, always recommend doing it after 25 because you should be old enough that your brain has made enough mistakes for you to notice the difference. If you learn enough loops, the distance between what you know and what you see on acid or psychedelics in general yeah. becomes so blatantly obvious that it's impossible to ignore. Yeah. Um, I think that's quite, quite valuable. Yeah. Yeah. There, this reminds me of um, Michael, I think it's Michael Pollan's book. I forgot the name of it, but he's, he wrote a book on psychedelics. 
I don't want to misstate the title, so I'm just going to leave the title out. But he's check out Michael Pollan's yeah, book. Yeah, Michael Pollan's book on psychedelics. You'll find it. I think there might also be a documentary about it. But he, because one of the things psychedelics do, uh, to do to us cognitively is they disrupt what's called the default mode network. Yep. And I think the default mode network is related to what you're describing. It's this, these habitualized patterns of action or, you know, mental models or loops that we might have that have become very invisible to us. So they're, they're unconscious. And his analogy was, if you could imagine a ski mountain with slopes, uh, I'm sorry, ski grooves sort of etched into the side where people have, mm. you know, skiers have gone down these particular paths time and time again. And there's no reason why people have to go there, but they do, right? That's right. Well, it's almost like the path of least resistance, and it's something that's obviously been created through habit over time. Very much like that one. Yeah, they're very habitualized to just following down these um, these paths without thinking about it. It's very easy to do. It's it's uh, it's really necessary for a lot of things we do as human, right? Like we get up and we go through the routine, right? We brush our teeth, we do whatever. It's like you just automate these routines. Very useful. And then he, he analogized, uh, so that would be the default mode network, these ski grooves on the ski mountain. And then the analogy for the psychedelic experience was a fresh coat of powder that fills in all the ski grooves and allows you to go back to the top of the mountain and say, well, look at all this possibility and potential. I can choose my own grooves, architect my own behavioral loops, right. and really just get a fresh start almost on your it's own. It's a beautiful thing, but it also yeah. means that you are now and no knowledge from the past you know right. don't know about past mistakes yes you know there's always a trade-off between these two things it's like fantastic now to have this beautiful uh romantic experience on the top of the mountain mm-hmm. but it also means that you don't know where the trees are you don't know whether that's right it's a reason why there was a path there it's dangerous right yeah so, so you have to always like be, be both respectful of all those yes that huma- huma- humanity practically have spent hundred thousands of years teaching their children yeah. Probably for a good fucking reason that we are yes. too dumb to understand. Yeah. But if they worked for 100,000 years, be a little bit humble and just assume yeah. that those loops are there for a reason. Yeah. Uh, at the same time as critically examining things that, uh, you know, turn out to possibly be just things that was for first grade and some bad teacher. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and you're making... You're... And, and discerning between, between those, those two things. Yes. That's also important. Yeah. And you're drawing out... Uh... An analogy I'm going to go to here is where, okay, so the psychedelics are disruptive to the default mode network. They let us sort of re-architect our behavioral patterns, let's say, consciously, at least bringing it to our attention such that we can choose to be different, right, versus just unconsciously running these loops. My hypothesis is the reason Bitcoin is such a psychedelic experience for people, like it, it, it's... You know, it's going to kill more acid sooner or later. Kill more egos than acid sooner or later. Right, right, right. And yeah, that's an- another way to look at default mode network maybe as a component of the ego or vice versa. And I'm not super sophisticated in this domain, but just this, again, this idea of unconscious programming, psychedelics allowing you to consciously reprogram that in the the macrocosm of that, so far as I can tell, like the unconscious programming of society or the world are these these ritualized social institutions that we have contained under the moniker the state right like the, these are the ways we figured out to resolve disputes or you know settle uh, territorial claims and all of these things over time like it's a protocol it's a social protocol but bitcoin somehow is is kind of like fresh powder on that mountain because it makes us reevaluate everything right? it's, it's something that's so fundamentally disruptive like potentially disruptive to gold itself which is if money is the the original social protocol as you said we're talking about a new technology that's disrupting 
the original social protocol. It'd be like IP addresses being replaced tomorrow. Right. And then so everything that's at the bottom of the stack is being disrupted. So everything above is now called into question. Like, well, do we still need a central bank? Do we still need a nation state? Do we still need the firm? Do we? And it's not just Bitcoin. It's also the kind of the digital age in general is calling a lot of these things into question. Um, but it, anyways, that's kind of my hypothesis that maybe Bitcoin is psychedelic in that sense. That is disruptive to the state in the same way psychedelics are disruptive to the default mode network. I'm absolutely right on about that. And I think that's a really good point. I think also there is an interesting parallel between two different groups you find when it comes to psychedelics and Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You have the people who take psychedelics and break a lot of these loops and they feel uh, like they're now free from the ego or they are now, you know, these enlightened, liberal, mm -hmm. liberated people. They've done an ayahuasca retreat in the Amazon. <laughs> And now they're back to tell their friends from high school about how right <laughs> how the world works, right? Yeah. Uh, but the hard work, and this is something I think Bitcoiners really appreciate. The hard work is not breaking shit. The hard work is building shit uh, and proof of work, integration, integration, and proof of work mentally. Yeah. Like we can look at all these institutions and hate we all hate them all we want, but they're a hell of a proof of work in the structure of them. That's right. And and they've been built over a very long time. You know. Yeah. A lot of people's minds and efforts have gone into to constructing that. That's right. And tearing it down is the easiest part. <laughs> that's, and dangerous to your point earlier, right? Because like where you can't see the trees on the mountain, it's like beware of criticizing things that are just much larger than you, right? That there's a lot more mind power that when additions are solutions to a problem we forgot. Mm. And I really like that. I like that because too. it's like you know, sometimes we think, what the fuck are we doing with this tradition? Yeah, stupid. Like, why are we gathering every right. year to dance at the spring fest? Right. It's like you stop doing it and suddenly nobody has babies anymore in the, in the autumn. Right. You're like, wait, everybody's moving away from our village because we right. stopped dancing in spring. Right. It's like you didn't, that was not what we meant to do. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's calling to mind this Taleb quote where it's something like, if if you can't tell why nature did a thing, like just assume it's, it's supposed for to be. a good reason, right? <laughs> exactly. Like you individually didn't figure out the thing that millions of humans across many centuries figure it out like you you almost always have to humble yourself in in comparison yeah and i think um there it comes it i don't know how to connect it on directly but i just want to make this point that like humans are pretty dumb also the smartest among us are, yeah. are just like one dude among oh, yeah. millions of brains that right are operating and sharing information over right. thousands and thousands of years right so, you know, when you dismiss like all the knowledge of the Bible or the Quran or the exactly. or you dismiss every myth and fairy tale and all these kind of things, it's really you're you're like the amazing Grace says, I was I was blind, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I cannot I cannot hear, I can't yeah. see. It's uh No, no, it's beautiful. I, I talk about this a lot too. Um there's there's a book Inventing the Individual and it argues that things like we take for granted today, private property rights. Like first of all, when you say that, people, most people don't understand what you're talking about. But like, well, can you open a bank account? Can you own a car? Can you buy a house? Like, can you swipe a credit? Like, all these things necessitate the foundation of private property rights. And there's an argument in that made in that book, Inventing the Individual, that actually the mythology of Christ himself yes. was necessary for us to invent the individual as the primary social unit, which is necessary to invent private property rights so, and, and codify it legally. So if you think about Jesus Christ in um, in a deep sense, it's very interesting because he is a man who knows his destiny and knows that it is horrible, but it's what he wants to achieve. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, he does not blame his family or the government or God. Mm -hmm. He carries his own cross, his own suffering, all the way up to Golgotha, 
at any point his ego could take over. At mm -hmm. any point he could say that I have a lower purpose in life and mm -hmm. get himself down from the cross, but he does not do it. And the reason he does it is something I think we can prove mathematically today, mm. which is that when you die for the sins of others, which as a subchapter here means that even when you know that it's actually that guy's fault, uh, take only care about what you did and what mm. you could do better. And if it means taking on the responsibility of others sometimes and their sins, yeah. and even if it means you being crucified for it, so yeah. if more of us do that, the more of us do that, the less sin there is to die for. Right. And it is a obviously a mathematically provable higher world to live in. Yeah. So uh, that that sense of like the individual having uh, the ability to redeem all of humanity. Yes. Every single one of us. Uh, I think it's the original spark of this individual enterprise that we are the creators yes. of this world, the inheritors of, of the Garden of Eden, so to speak. Yes. So yeah, I want to. I just want to make that point. No, no, that's a brilliant point, and it, it's uh, I think foundational to the idea of the West, where the sovereignty of the individual is actually higher than the state. Right. And someone who oh, sorry, um, such that the individual is the cornerstone of the state, yeah. and I just want to say that it also reminds me of Peterson's, like Jordan Peterson's core message. Take on as much fucking responsibility as you can. Yeah. Like that's, yes. that, it's not pursuit of happiness. It's not trying to have a bunch of carnal pleasure. It's like just pursue responsibility. As much as you can. As much as you can. And you will find fulfillment in that pursuit. Yes. Which is to say, carry your cross, right? Carry your cross and don't blame the God, the government, your family. Right. Like, right. And that's something maybe Bitcoiners could be better at. Like we, 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 For we, sure. we, we like to rage. <laughs> we like yeah. to be angry at shit yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot to be angry about. There's sure. a lot to be really angry about, sure. but but that is not the way to redeem humanity. That's right. That's not the way to die for all of those sins. And if I can draw that connection between Jesus all the way forwards to Luther, which I think has so many fascinating parallels to Satoshi, mm -hmm. like showing up after revolutionary communications technology gets launched, right? Mm -hmm. Which allows people to multiply information at a speed that nobody imagined before. Mm -hmm. And then this guy shows up and writes a piece of code, basically, that says... Um, we can have a relationship about consensus, about truth, without a third party. That's right. The Catholic Church is unnecessary. We can ourselves mm -hmm. have a peer-to-peer -peer relationship mm -hmm. with God. And uh, so Luther's disintermediating our relationship with God. Luther's disintermediating our relationship with truth. Right. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. So you know, it basically does exactly what Luther, what Satoshi later does in code. Yeah. And I think that should also inform us a bit about what might happen next. Because what we saw after that is first like some shaky consent, uh, compromises uh, before people realized how deep the conflict was going to go. Yeah. And then people retreated into what they called congregations. Yeah. We probably call them citadels. Yeah. I believe they are probably the same structure in terms of uh, what they are in response to and what yeah. kind of tools they are building upon. Right. And to recognize that not everybody chooses exit or voice. A lot of people choose loyalty. Yeah. Europe to this day is still half Catholic and not everyone saw... Uh, the decentralized open solution mm -hmm. as the way to go. Mm -hmm. And 500 years yeah. later, we actually have the data on how the outcome of that is. And we can see that in Northern Europe, you have far greater economic prosperity. Mm -hmm. But in Southern Europe, you have greater family cohesion and mm -hmm. civic institutions and trade-offs. Trade-offs, mm -hmm. right? And that's, again, humbling for us Bitcoiners who just think that if we get rid of all right. this fiat shit, decentralize everything. It's all going to be awesome. <laughs> and like, again, there's abundance from scarcity idea. Yeah. It's a beautiful one, but I think it's it it's um, it clearly is written by somebody who does not come from a continent that has experienced the tragedy of life to the limits that Europe has. Yes. Uh, so many times. Yes, 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 for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, what we come back to humility, right? Yeah. Just the, the importance of it. 
and um, cleaning our room before we criticize the world is, is another thing Peterson likes to say. Um, something you said before the show started. Well, I guess you basically already said that. But this, the the Big Bang is not something that happened. It's yeah. something that's happening, mm -hmm. right? Like we're living in the the echo of this, um, it, and the, the illusion of separateness is it's that illusion. I think you referred to the Maya, yes, um, as that illusion, and it seems like that we have that illusion of separateness both in ego, mm -hmm. and that I can sit here and think that I, and in many ways I am a separate entity from you, right? But also, we're, there's a continuum between us, right? There's energy and information and who, who knows what else, spiritual energy, whatever, flowing between us. Just like we have kind of at the nation state level, right? We have this illusion that the United States is some kind of circumscribed en entity separate from China and all. And there's some truth there, but it also betrays a deeper truth of the continuum, right? Of economic flows, cl climate, we all share the same atmosphere. Uh, people moving around, like there's a lot of continuity between these entities. Um, so yeah, it's very, I don't know, it's just something to keep in mind. Like you always have to be humble and that your knowledge is never going to capture that. Yeah, I mean, you got to spoil my main point there. That I have a daughter called Maya, which I called uh, Maya exactly because I want to always remind myself that in my eyes, the first person perspective that we have on the world Never mind if it's ego or not. It's just the technology we've been equipped with biologically as humans mm -hmm. give us a first-person perspective, mm -hmm. which creates a constant challenge of reminding yourself that I am actually like the people I look at around me. Mm -hmm. The same way as I look at you and I can see clearly that you are not somehow separate from the universe. You're clearly contained inside of it. Mm -hmm. and there's no any <laughs> claim that you could make to me that your thoughts somehow exist in some... There's no other place to be. There is no other place to be. <laughs> But that doesn't apply to me, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, always, yeah. That's, yeah. that's that's what you got to remi remind yourself all the time, that there is no, um, uh, your thoughts are, as you say, uh, not separate. They are a part of the same process as your yeah. thoughts. They're shaping simultaneously in the same moment. There right. is only the Godhead. There is yes. only that cloud of the Big Bang that is not something that happened, but it is happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm just restating what to do. Uh, no, I, I got it from you originally, so we're just meeting back and forth here, I guess. Um, yeah, one consciousness, right? It all, it's the, whatever, to the extent the Big Bang is true, who knows, it's just a model, but there's one event happening here called the universe or reality. We're all participating in it. There is continuity between all of us, and something about having a reverence for that seems like it would lead us toward a more peaceful, prosperous, productive world, right. rather than like, oh, my nation needs to have a higher GDP than your nation, so let's blow you up and I'll try. It just, the illusion of separateness leads us down a destructive path, even though, again, back to language, like the illusion of separateness is built into language itself. Like it's a necessary tool, but don't mistake the map for the territory, I guess you might say. Um, okay, with all this crazy, bewildering, psychedelic talk, behind us, I want to conclude with a simple question for a Bitcoin podcast, and that is, what is Bitcoin? For me, it's a tool to approximate truth. I've said this many times in, um, in this episode. You know, we can talk about Bitcoin on so many different levels. And uh, people have said Bitcoin is love, Bitcoin is freedom, Bitcoin is a consensus protocol, Bitcoin is money, all this kind of stuff. At the end of the day, it's... Uh, um, for me, an attempt to approximate truth as closely as possible. It's, as far as I can tell, our most superior 
uh, attempt that we've ever mm-hmm. that we've ever made, mm-hmm. and I expect the influence that, that has on humanity to be equally great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. You know, I'm tempted to go more controversial and say something like uh, relate Bitcoin more to God, like we were talking mm. about earlier. Yeah. Right? That ain't really is just me doing a tautology because we've already talked about the synonym between truth, love, mm. and God. So obviously, if we think of Bitcoin as something that approximates truth or tries to reach consensus about truth, then I'm sorry, you're going to have to drag your sorry ass over to God as well. <laughs> and Bitcoin seems to be doing that to a lot of people. Absolutely. That's a very interesting... Love that certainly made me have more reverence for things that I... Same here. Um, probably uh, will never stop paying for having failed to be reverent in the past. Yeah, yeah, same, same, same. Yeah, I guess it just comes with the humility that Bitcoin bestows. You start to recognize that, like you said earlier, all these things that our ancestors have accumulated and done over time, right. there is some real value there. You, know, you can't just throw the, the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. And if I can end this on a bit of a message there as well, please, relevant to what I've been doing here at Prague now. You know, there's, there's, there's an undeniable fact that a lot of our people are leaving these shores. A lot of people are trying to get out of Europe, right? They mm-hmm. want to make mm-hmm. their plan Bs into their plan As and mm-hmm. follow Max and Stacey to El Salvador and so on. And, you know, we talked a lot about history today. And we mentioned defenestration. We could have talked about uh, heroic stories of World War One and World War Two and fight against communism and Prague Spring, all these kind of things. We're standing in a very long tradition of people fighting mm-hmm. for the rights and liberties that we're trying to encapsulate with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And if people just interpret fuck off, fuck you money as mm-hmm. a like, I'm going to fuck off. Yeah. Then I feel like we're betraying, to, to use it a bit of poetic state, stating, the bones of our ancestors and the stones of their works. Mm-hmm. Like, I love this continent. And I really, really want our children to grow up in a beautiful mm-hmm. Europe where we can eat ice cream and giggle in the palaces of our past rulers. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't want them to think, oh, my parents were from Europe once upon a time. Mm-hmm. And now it's just run by the EU bureaucrats that we left behind. Mm-hmm. No, fuck that. They're not going to take Europe away from me and my kids. I am going to use Bitcoin not as just an exit, but as a voice, as a way to change this continent, to stand up to warmongering maniacs like Putin, to stand up against dictators like Lukashenko, to stand up against bank robbers like the EU, right? And um, yeah, see hope in that and take pride in that tradition that we're actually standing in. So yeah, that's my message to people in the broader context of this moment. Stay. Stay and build Europe with me. It's going to be great. Mm. That is a beautiful message to end on. Eric, man, thank you for doing this. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? So the easiest thing is probably uh, at Eurodale on almost any platform. So I prefer Twitter. That's uh, I'm pretty responsive on DMs if it's uh, urgent. And uh, always very happy to, to talk to new plebs and uh, get to know your ideas. And yeah, um, build Bitcoin with you, as I say. Awesome. Dude, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Robert. All right, man. This is great. Yeah.